morning. Oh, it does move. <laughs> I was a little nervous as to whether I might wreck something in the process. Great to be with you. I came up on, uh, on the plane um, last night or late, uh, early evening, and I, um, I have to confess, I couldn't quite work out why I could only get an aisle seat. I mean, who travels to Edinburgh on a late afternoon on a Saturday? I realised when I got on the plane, it's full of the whole, whole French nation we're on. <laughs> Apparently there's an important game taking place today. Uh, but it's great to be with you. Uh, I've been looking forward to being here. As Dave said, I, uh, I lead the leadership team of the Evangelical Alliance across the United Kingdom. Uh, it's great to have Dave as one of our councillors of the UK. Um, and part of the executive um, for Scotland. And Dave is a real encouragement um, to us. And I hope um, you've picked up uh, in the, uh, the leaflet you got as you came through. Uh, I'll give you a little bit more details about who we are, what we do. We are passionate about seeing unity. The John 17 prayer of Jesus is central to our understanding. The prayer that he says that they might be one, um, that the world might believe. It's unity um, for a purpose. Um, the purpose is transformation um, across the United Kingdom. That's our prayer, spiritually, socially, and physically. And uh, we're committed to that process, a great team of people. So have a look at that, and we'd love you. You as a church are members uh, of the Evangelical Alliance, but we would uh, love you as individuals uh, to find out more about us as an opportunity, just to fill out something on there, and it will... Um, give you an uh, opportunity to get loads of great resources um, from us. Um, the reading we read this morning, this is part of a series, um, and uh, I was asked to uh, contribute to the series. It's a series on prayer, uh, and um, if you've got your Bibles um, or your phones or your iPads, however you choose to read scripture, you might want to open to this passage. Um, sadly, my PowerPoint didn't make it across the border. Uh, we can't quite work out why, but uh, anyway, so uh, um, we are PowerPointless. It's a bit scary, isn't it? I, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes. Uh, but if you've got your Bibles, you might want to turn to the passage. Um, the, the story's full of, of ca different characters. We've got the crowd. Jesus has made his way across um, the lake. He's back in Galilee, and there's a crowd that are waiting for him in anticipation. What's going to happen now? We've got Jairus. He's the respected synagogue leader. And sadly, he's got a daughter who's at the point of death. It's a 999 situation. We've got Peter. I love Peter. He just keeps cropping up, doesn't he, throughout the Gospels. And uh, I, I, I see him in this, kind of whispering into Jesus' ear. He kind of, it's, it's the obvious statement. Jesus, you're surrounded by people. Why are you asking who touched me? Of course, we've got Jesus. Jesus surrounded by the crowd, yet responding to this woman in need. I, I love it about Jesus that Jesus was willing to be interrupted. 
I find that to challenge to myself into 21st century life where we are bombarded with diaries and schedules and things to be done. But Jesus seems to live at a different pace. He's interrupted and it's okay to interrupt the Messiah. And of course we've got the woman, haven't we? We aren't given her name. In fact, uh, Luke 8 starts with a whole list. Luke loves to tell the stories, loves to highlight the role of women uh, in the ministry of Jesus. And beginning of Luke 8, we have a list of women that are part of the travelling team with Jesus, many of whom were supporting the ministry. And then we come on and we've got this woman and we've got the young girl. Jesus is, uh, is encounter, engaging with women. And we've got this woman who's central to this particular story. Now, maybe just a, a little disclaimer at, at this point. Um, I always think it's somewhat dangerous to bring in uh, a visiting speaker into the middle of a series and ask them to make a contribution. My, my fear is that I could be contradicting something that somebody has already said or something that's kind of central to what somebody wants to say in the weeks to come. So, so I've said to Dave, 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 if, if I feel free to contradict me, preferably after I've gone, <laughs> rather than when I'm here. Uh, but let me just let me make a little um, confession. I, I've read a number of books on, on prayer and been blessed and, uh, and enriched by them, but, but at times I've been left feeling a little uncomfortable. Um, sometimes it's felt when we've talked about prayer and I've read about prayer, it's felt a little formulaic. A little bit like there's a formula that fits it all together and suddenly we can understand prayer because we've got the formula. And my personal experience, and indeed my reading of Scripture, is it, it, it somehow doesn't just quite work like that. You see, this, these conversations that take place between humans like you and me, <coughs> like you and me, <coughs> and the Almighty, um, well, sometimes... As I read them and I realise my own experience, sometimes they're, they're almost inappropriate. There have been times in my prayer life when my engagement with God has required me eventually to make apologies to him that I've spoken inappropriately. But I've been honest. I've been myself. And I find it throughout Scripture as I look at Scripture, yeah, we, we, we have the high praises, we have the adoration, we have the intercession, but we've also, alongside that, we've got prayer in the midst of pain. Hey, there's, there's a family among the congregation who are facing pain this morning of the death of a son, a brother. The death of Aaron. And there's prayer in the midst of pain. There's prayer in the midst of frustration. There's prayer at times with anger. Sometimes prayer is short cries. Sometimes we read in Scripture long tirades. See, the Bible 
exposes us to the messiness of prayer. Honest prayer, relational prayer, but at times, messy prayer. At times, mysterious prayer, where we can't quite work out how it all fits together. And Luke 8, the story that we're looking at, is a messy story of prayer. This is an act of prayer. This is prayer without words. Now, this is where we're gonna, you're going to need to believe me. There's a lovely PowerPoint I was about to give you, but you aren't going to see it. But um, first point. See, this woman is praying in desperation. 40, verse 43. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But... No one, just, just that moment, that says it all, doesn't it? But no one could heal her. You know, at, at the Evangelical Alliance at the moment, I, I work with a team of great people. We have a, a base in, in, in King's Cross, London. We have bases in, in Scotland, in Wales, in Northern Ireland. <clears throat> and um, we, are, we are just knowing the favour of God, the blessing of God. And some fantastic people doing some amazing stuff and some lovely stories to tell of God at work. But the interesting thing is this, and, and the painful thing is this. Alongside the blessing, we have a team of people, who, some of whom are facing real pain, real difficulty, real heartache. We have, we have a woman with very serious cancer. We're facing situations of relational difficulties, financial difficulties in the context of families and households. And so we live in the tension of the thankfulness of God at work and God blessing. But also at times in the desperation, God heal, God turn up, God turn things around. Thankfulness and desperation going hand in hand at times. You see, our, our woman, she's, she's a social outcast. A, a world of, uh, the, 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 in our current world, modern hygiene is a relatively new thing. I think soap was only discovered a few centuries ago. Uh, the purity laws um, were a vital part of public health. The Jewish writings, the Jewish scriptures and traditions were very clear around issues of hygiene. And two of the things that they emphasised was one actually around not touching a corpse. Jesus is going to go on and touch a corpse, a dead person. And of course, and also around the internal bleeding of a woman. See, 12 years our woman has been like this. Mark tells us, Mark's gospel tells us that, uh, that she'd spent all her money trying to get this issue sorted. I don't know whether it's because Luke was a doctor that he kind of doesn't mention that particular issue. But um, she spent her up, she's a social outcast and she's broke. 
She's unclean. And I become ceremonially unclean if I touch her or if she touches me. She's someone to be avoided. She wouldn't be part of normal social life. Of course, one of the great things about Jesus is he's not in the business of avoiding people. He's in the business of seeing what others declare as unclean and making them clean. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. He comes to us in our uncleanness. He comes in our desperation. He comes to us in need of a saviour. He comes enabling us, he comes close to us and enabling us to reach out to him and touch him. You know, many years ago, I became a follower of Jesus. I can see the moment when it all happened. I know where I was. I know what I was doing. But I want you to know this. It wasn't the great music that attracted me. It wasn't the impressive preaching or teaching. It wasn't the great building. But there was something about Jesus that was incredibly attractive. There was something about Jesus that I knew he had something that I desperately needed. You know, if you've been around as a Christian for a while, it's easy to forget what we've been saved from. And the fact that day in and day out, I, we, need a saviour. Someone that we can reach out to. So the woman comes in her desperation. And she comes in her second PowerPoint about to go up. She comes in her determination. Look at verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. This place of desperation leads to determination. She's not prepared to give up. She's hanging on in there. This could be her last hope. She takes the risk. She's about to embark on an act of faith. She's about to pray. This social outcast is risking it all. She's putting herself in a place where she can reach out and touch. She sneaks up behind him. She reaches out. And the Bible says she just touches the edge of his garment. (laughs) She's touching the rabbi. She's making the rabbi unclean. Jesus calls what she does faith. It's a prayer. It's prayer in action. 
Have you ever sensed God asking you to step out? To take an act of faith? It, 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 it seems crazy. It could be dangerous. It could be embarrassing. It, it, it's, a, it's an offer to pray with someone, maybe in the context of our workplace, our neighbourhood, our, our family. It's, a, it's an unusual act of kindness that we just sense that God is provoking us, challenging us to do. It's, it's a word that we, we sense God might want to say to something and we pluck up the courage to speak it out. You see... This is the adventure that God has called us to. This is prayer in action. This is faith. I picked up a a lovely quote the other day. I hope you like it. And it's this. Courage is fear which has said its prayers. It's good, isn't it? Well, I like it. You might like it, I don't know. I I can identify that. I want to be courageous, but I'm at times, if I'm honest, I'm fearful. The Bible tells us not to fear, but the honest truth is at times I am fearful. But courage. God calls us to be courageous. This adventure of faith that we're, we're, we're included in on his mission. Courage is fear. Looked in the face that has said its prayers. So a woman in desperation, a woman with determination. That leads us on. It leads us to a prayer which goes deeper. Prayer which leads to devotion. Prayer which takes us deeper into Jesus. You know, I've read this passage um, loads of times. It was only just the other day that I, I had the thought, I wonder why he didn't just keep going on. I mean, he, he'd got to get to, the, to, the, to Jairus' house. There's an emergency. Somebody's about to die. But, but he stops. Why did he stop at that point? Why, why did he ask her to own up in front of everybody? I mean, there must have been a reason for it. And I've come to the conclusion, you, you, you might disagree with me, but this is the conclusion that I've come to. Jesus knew she needed more than simply a physical healing. He was prepared to stop in the crowds, potentially face the embarrassment of her not owning up, and indeed the embarrassment that she feared, she faced, and indeed the trembling and fear that she experienced in owning up. He was prepared to face that because he knew there was more on God's agenda for this woman. You see, prayer is about a two-way encounter. We bring things to God. 
But God has things He wants for us to experience. Listen to the words of Jesus. Daughter. Just for a moment, hear the tone of Jesus' voice. Daughter. See, there's something wonderfully affectionate. There's something intimate. As he speaks over her these words, the excluded one, the unclean one, she's included. She's part of the family. Daughter, for some of us, son. And then these wonderful words, these deeply significant words to this woman in this situation. Go in peace. See, our woman is looking for a healing. Thank God for the healing. But God's got a deeper agenda as well. God is looking for this woman to know shalom, peace, wholeness. Speaks to the very core of this woman's being. That which is unclean declared clean. That which is excluded declared included. One of, the, one of the wonderful things I, I get to do in my role at the Evangelical Alliance is I, I get to travel around and, and visit churches like this all over the UK. And it's fantastic. You know, the rumour that the church is dead is a false rumour. God's alive and active in his people right across the UK doing some amazing things. And I thank God for what the church is doing. There's hardly a church that I visit that isn't in some way involved in social engagement in their communities. <clears throat> Street pastors, night shelters, debt counselling, work among the elderly, work among, the, uh, among young people, education, prison ministry. Absolutely extraordinary what the church is up to. But you know... Meeting social needs at, on its own is not enough. Are we really convinced that the most loving act that I can do for another human being is introducing them to Jesus? Thank God for what we are doing in social engagement. I know this is a church that's engaging its community. Thank God for it. But there's a deeper level that God wants to take, place, take people to. A place of encounter. A place of getting right in relationship with the Saviour. A place of coming to know Jesus. And so, the words of Jesus, as he speaks it over the woman, he speaks over us this morning. 
He speaks over us and he says, daughter. He says, son. And he speaks to us the aspiration of the heartbeat of God that we might know shalom. That we might know peace, wholeness, harmony. In right place in relationship with the Father in heaven, his Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads, shall we, and let's pray. And perhaps just at this moment, as we read in the story, how our woman reaches out and touches Jesus. This amazing act of prayer. Let's, let's each of us just take a moment of reaching out. From the core of our being, reaching out to Jesus. Allowing him to come to us. Allowing him to touch us. Allowing him to speak to us at our deepest needs. Allowing him to speak over a son, daughter, and receiving his peace. We invite you to come to us by your Spirit. Touch us at the core of, the, of our being, we pray. Meet us at our place of need. Help us to hear your whisper over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.